Well, good morning again. Uh, It's always a joy to and a privilege to be able to examine God's word with all of you. I love Patrick, but I'm kind of glad when he goes out of town sometimes because it means I get to preach. Um, So I'm I'm thankful for the the opportunity uh, to do that. And uh, this is actually, this is a picture of Patrick here (laughs) this past weekend. He's very strong. Um, I'm just kidding. Not about him being strong, but it's not actually him. Um, I'm not sure how many of you have been rock climbing before. I enjoy rock climbing. Not in the indoor gyms, but like outside on, on like an actual mountain or cliff side. Uh, it's a blast. Um, I've, I've been rock climbing indoors at some of the indoor gyms a ton uh, and, and just once uh, on an actual mountain. And it was, it was a blast. I, I learned a lot. During that experience, I learned that it, it can be very, very dangerous. You have to be very careful. Um, I also learned that there are a lot of different tools that, that you use when you go rock climbing. There's some of the, the basic ones. You have the, the climbing shoes that you want to wear and the, the, the ropes and the carabiners, and you want to have a harness, obviously, and you wear a helmet in case, so you don't hit your head on a rock. Um, but then you have some more strategic tools, um, like you have the... The, the belay devices and the repelling devices. And um, one of the ones that I think is, is the coolest is, uh, it's really simple, but it's called a climbing hex. Um, and there's, there's a picture of some, some climbing hexes there. Uh, really neat when you use them properly, uh, they, they help to provide a safe climbing experience. So this, this the hex is just a hexagonal tool um, with a, a metal, or often fabric strap through it, and uh, you, you can tie your rope through that loop that's on it. Uh, the small hexagon, you can take it and you strategically place that into the, the crevice of a rock, and it creates a really strong anchor point for you to be able to tie off. If you use it correctly, it'll, it'll wedge in there so you can, it'll support your full body weight. Uh, just this little piece of metal wedged in there really nicely, but you have to be intentional with where you put it to make sure you put it in the right, the right spot. If you improperly set the hex, it could lead to injury or death. You think that it's gonna hold you up, and then it doesn't, it's bad news. Uh, so climbers have to be very deliberate with how they place these hexes. It literally is the difference between life and death at times. And likewise, in the community of believers that we call the church, we must interact with one another in a very deliberate way. We can't be careless. Uh, we can't be flippant, uh, like the placement of a hex. We need to be deliberate with how we place our, our words as anchor points into God's word. We need to be, what I'm calling, deliberate in discipleship. We're climbing through life together and there are potential pitfalls all over the place. We could slip at any moment and fall into sin. There's temptation all around us. Each and every believer must work together. You must use your life as a a useful tool of discipleship, working together to make the climb together safe. You may be asking if I just called you all tools, and the answer is yes, I did. <laughs> that happened. There's one thing you learned this morning. No, I'm just joking. We need one another to be deliberate in our discipleship. 
We need to be deliberate. Discipleship is, is just providing advice or counsel to one another. As you're walking through life, you provide advice. That's just something that we all do all the time. Anytime you're having a conversation with someone, you're in some form or fashion providing some counsel to them. The question is just whether or not you're providing good counsel or bad counsel. And we're going to learn from Titus chapter 2 this morning what it takes to disciple deliberately. How do we go about providing good advice, good counsel, good discipleship to those around us? Paul answers that in his letter to Titus. The letter is one of three pastoral epistles. Uh, the other two are First and Second Timothy. They're called pastoral epistles because Timothy was a pastor in Ephesus. Titus is a pastor on uh, the island of Crete, and Paul is writing to them as pastors to provide fantastic advice on how those pastors should operate within the church and how believers should operate within the church. Paul says in First Timothy three fourteen and fifteen, he says, "In case I am delayed." I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. This is how you ought to conduct yourself as a pastor, and this is how the members of the church ought to conduct themselves as well. As I mentioned, Titus pastored on the island of Crete. It's evident that Paul and Titus had been there uh, for some amount of time ministering to the people. Paul notes at the beginning of the letter, for this reason, I left you in Crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So there were apparently several churches that had sprung up on the island of Crete in different cities. Uh, this could have been the, the result of uh, many uh, people who were in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, hearing, uh, hearing the gospel being proclaimed in their own language. Uh, you can see that in verse 11 of Acts 2. The Cretans are listed there as, as those who were present that day. So them hearing the gospel and going back to Crete could have sprung up some of these churches. Others may have been started while Paul and Titus were there serving in Crete and sharing the gospel. They certainly would have gone around to these various groups and taught them and strengthened them in their faith. And now Paul is is writing to, to Titus, giving him more instruction on what he is to be doing while he's there in Crete. Let's take a look briefly at what happens leading up to chapter two before we dive in there. Uh, as you look there in, in uh, chapter one, the first four verses provide an opening salutation where Paul is just greeting Titus. Then verses five through nine provide the qualifications of elders that are to be appointed within the church. What should characterize the men who are leading the church? What should they look like? What should they behave like? And then verses 10 through 16 explain why those faithful men are necessary. Uh, why do they need to be put in place? Well, it's because there are faithless, false teachers who are leading people astray with false doctrine. Um, and that gets us up to chapter two, which we'll examine a little bit more closely. So look at Titus 2.15 as our primary text for this morning. Titus 2.15, if you're not already there, go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Paul says, these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority, let no one disregard you. Now this imperative packed passage directed at Titus provides us with a model for deliberate discipleship. What should it look like for us? In, this, in just this one verse, 
we see three criteria for deliberate discipleship. Three criteria for deliberate discipleship. If we are going to be deliberate in our discipleship, then these three criteria must be present. The first is the message of our discipleship. The message of our discipleship. This is wrapped up in the phrase, these things. Paul says, these things speak. What things, Paul? What are you talking about? What do you mean when you say these things? Well, if you back up to verse one in Titus two, he says, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Speak these things. Things. Now, this operates kind of like a bookend in chapter two, where he says it in verse one, these things speak, and then verse 15, at the end of the chapter, these things speak, and then in between is all of these things. He addresses particular aspects that Titus is to address in the lives of the believers there in Crete. This makes up the content, the message of our discipleship. So what are these specific things? Let's look through there really quickly. You have verse two, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, love in perseverance. So you have those older men and their conduct that is addressed. Verse three, older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. That's the conduct of the older women. Verse four, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. There you have the conduct of young women. Likewise, verse six, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach so that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. There's conduct of young men. And then verses nine and 10, you have conduct of employees, urge bond servants to be subject to their masters in everything and be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our savior in every respect. And then you finally have conduct of all believers in 11 through 14, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desire and to live sensibly, righteously and godly in the present age. So every believer in this room and in the church falls into one or more of these categories. We could spend months working through all of those verses. There's a ton there, uh, but for the sake of this morning, we just wanted to overview that so you see these are the things that Titus was to speak, and these are the things that we are called to be the diligent deliberate about in our discipleship. This is the message of our discipleship. The, the content of our lives, our, our counsel to one another should be for the benefit of these areas of life for each other. These are all character traits and relationships that are addressed. The kind of person you are, how you interact with other people, with your family, your friends, your coworkers, your in-laws, your, the, the believers around you, the unbelievers around you, church members, elders, ministry leaders, children and teens, everyone, how you interact, what you say, what you do, these are the things. And all of these things, Paul said in verse one, are fitting for sound doctrine. These aren't just lifestyle issues. 
he draws a clear line here between your lifestyle, your character traits, and sound doctrine. These things were under attack in the Cretan church because of false teachers coming in and leading people astray. Look back at chapter one, verses 10 through 16, he addresses this, for there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they're upsetting whole families, teaching things that should, they should not teach for the, the sake of sordid gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Now, let's pause there. That's just not very nice, Paul. <laughs> so I called you guys tools earlier, but it could be much worse, okay? For this reason, he says, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To, pure, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds, they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. These are, are doctrinal issues. Your lifestyle stems back to doctrinal issues because at the foundational level, if the way that you are living is out of line with scripture, it is because you profess truth with your mouth, but you deny it in your deeds. You may say that you believe certain truths, but then your deeds demonstrate otherwise. And there were people in the church then that Titus needed to be aware of that, that their doctrinal error and lifestyle could very easily pull other people astray as well. And we face the same thing now from, from all angles, uh, from people who, who profess to be believers yet uh, speak false doctrine consistently, uh, but then also all over the, the media, any media that you encounter practically. It, it doesn't matter if you're watching the news or scrolling through social media, watching YouTube videos, going to the movies, watching TV, no matter where it's coming from, almost every source of input is seeking to pull you away from sound doctrine. And that kind of erroneous thinking and lifestyle often finds its way into the church, where then the, the, the topic of our conversation is filled with the things of the world rather than the things of Christ. Slowly, our lives are influenced by wrong thinking rather than biblical truth. Sound doctrine must be the driving force behind our discipleship. Truth matters. It is extremely important. So we must know the truth of God's word. We must, we must know it so that we can speak it and so that we can practice it. We can't speak what is fitting for sound doctrine if we don't know what sound doctrine is. It is the immature believer who is ignorant of scripture and carried off by foolish philosophies and ideologies. Paul saw this happening and warned Titus not to take any part of it. Chapter three, verses nine through 11, Paul says, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. Patrick mentioned this verse last week uh, in his message. When people start stirring up division and faction with foolish controversies and disputes, they need to be stopped right away. 
It's not to be tolerated. No one should entertain that kind of divisiveness or capitulate to their arguments. Paul wrote a similar warning in 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. As time goes on, Sound doctrine is going to be rejected more and more. It will become more and more intolerable. Uh, We've seen this and will continue to see this in, in churches that hold to sound doctrine, that they will shrink as those who want to hear feel good messages flock to teachers who are gonna tell them exactly what they wanna hear. But not you, Titus, not you. You speak what is fitting for sound doctrine. You don't tell people what they want to hear. You tell people what they need to hear. When an older man acts in an undignified way, when an older woman gets caught up in, in gossip, when a young wife struggles with submission to her husband, when a young man is lacking sense, which is pretty consistent, none of them can be coddled or tolerated. Paul says, not you, Titus, you, you speak what's fitting for sound doctrine in the lives of God's people. You don't let it go by, you don't let it slip past, you don't ignore it, you don't turn a blind eye. And like Titus, the message of our discipleship must be that of sound doctrine. How does your discipleship line up with this first criterion? What is the the message that fills your discipleship? If you wanna examine how you're doing here, you can ask yourself about the content of your conversation with the believers around you. Is it one of encouragement? Is, it one, is, you, is the content of your message one that builds up? Are the words of your mouth wholesome words that edify, that fit the need of the moment, that give grace to those who hear? And on the flip side, how, how are you receiving this instruction? When others come to you with difficult words that hurt your pride, or are you humble and receptive to that? Longing to be more like Christ, or are you prideful, resisting correction, resisting sound doctrine? As we seek to foster a culture of discipleship here at EVC, one criterion of our discipleship is our message And it has to be sound doctrine. It must be one of sound doctrine. So the question then is, how are we to communicate this sound doctrine for the benefit of other lives? How is that to flesh itself out? That brings us to our next point, which is the mode of our discipleship. The mode of our discipleship. What does it look like? How are we to disciple these things seen earlier in chapter two into the lives of others? Paul uses three imperatives in this verse. Uh, He actually uses more than that, but three that we're going to put under this point. Paul is commanding Titus to speak, exhort, and reprove. Speak, exhort, and reprove. First, we're to speak. This is not a a complex word. Some words you run into, they're complex. You really got to pull the meaning out a little bit. This is not one of them. You look it up in a lexicon, it says to speak. Also, utter words or talk. 
It's not super deep. Uh, But it is important, and it is an important command to pay attention to because Christians, we, we will often shirk our responsibility to speak when we should speak. We'll often keep quiet when we should be ambassadors for Christ. Rather than speaking the truth because it might put you in a difficult situation, you'll sometimes hear, and this isn't always wrong, but sometimes you hear, well, actions speak louder than words. Or I'm just gonna I'm gonna just live the gospel, and you know they'll get you know hopefully they'll that'll do something. That's not always bad. It's the, those are sometimes helpful. There are often situations where where you you have to do that, and quite frankly, you should be living the gospel in your everyday life. Uh, that that shouldn't be something different than normal. But there's times that you can't speak when you would when you would want to. But you demonstrate the opportunity, you demonstrate Christ and, and you pray and hope for that opportunity to speak. But your actions cannot be a substitute for the actual communication of the living, powerful, transforming word of God. You may compel someone with your lifestyle, but God uses the truth of his word to change hearts and lives. Right? That is where the power is found. You can live the most faithful life you can think of, but that life is not gonna save somebody else. Right? It's the word of God that's going to change hearts and lives. It requires speaking. And this is especially true when it comes to discipleship relationships. We must be imparting truth to one another. We must be intentional for, for the benefit of the body. We have to speak it. Next, he says that we have to exhort we have to exhort. This goes beyond just speaking the word. It's, it, this is a strong urge or appeal to someone. It's a, an earnest plea for believers to demonstrate the, these things that he mentioned in their lifestyle, in their behavior, in their attitudes and actions. The NIV renders this word encourage. If you're looking at the NIV, you might see encourage there instead of exhort. It is a, an accurate translation of the word. Um, I, I don't think it conveys the intensity of what Paul is communicating in this entire section. I think exhort is a much stronger, uh, better word to use here. The whole letter of Titus uh, cap, captures this intensity. Titus 1.9 uses the, the same word to describe the duties of an elder saying that he's holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. Then he uses it again in chapter two, verse six, but he uses a different word. It's, transla- it's the same word, but he, it's translated differently. He says, likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. We read that earlier. It's that word urge there is the same word for exhort. When Paul calls Titus to exhort other believers, it's a, a call to plead with them that they will not only hear the truth that is being spoken, but that they will also conform to it, that they will live it out and believe it. It's not enough merely to explain truth to others, but we must be intentional in, in urging them to live it out, to put it into practice. Calvin puts it this way. He says, men are not sufficiently reminded of their duty unless they are also vehemently urged to do it. If you are going rock climbing for the first time ever uh, and you get there and the instructor tells you all about the, you know, the harness and the helmet and the ropes and everything, uh, and then 
He just lets you go and start climbing without using any of them. That would, that would be rather foolish instruction. It's not very helpful instruction if you're not putting it into practice. It would be extremely dangerous for you and negligent of the, instruct, uh, the instructor to just give you the facts about these things, but then not have you put it into practice. You want an instructor who's going to take the, the care and the time to not only teach you, but also make sure that, that you're doing it safely and correctly. And the same must be true then. How much more should it be true? How much more diligence and care should we take with the lives and souls of the believers around us? Our fellow brothers, sister, brothers and sisters in Christ. We, we need to be deliberate with our discipleship and speak specifically and practically into their lives. We can't stop with just speaking truth. We must then deliberately apply the truth to them through exhortation. The next word that we see really rounds out the mode of discipleship. It's the word reprove. While exhortation is the positive side, you're instructing someone in the, the things that they should do. This is the negative side, correcting that which does not align to the truth. It could be translated also rebuke or correct. It's recognizing an attitude or action in the, the life of someone that does not align with scripture and talking to them about that. It's also recognizing an attitude or action that is not in someone's life that biblically should be in their life and talking to them about that. It is corrective. They might be neglecting something as believers, we're to be about the business of calling out sin in one another's lives. We aren't to ignore it or let it go. You're familiar with the phrase, if you see something, say something, right? Only here, instead of calling the authorities, you, you go and you talk to your fellow brother or sister in Christ about what you see. There's a pattern for that in Matthew 18, Galatians 6, 1. You can jot those down and Go take a look at that later, what it looks like to call someone out uh, on their sin. We are to speak, we are to exhort, we are to reprove. These should be the characteristics of our discipleship, the mode of our discipleship, what it looks like, how it takes place. And Paul didn't just tell this to Titus. We saw the same uh, mode in 2 Timothy 4.2 earlier, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Only here, Paul adds, with great patience and instruction. Don't expect people to become perfect overnight. This is going to take time. It is going to take great patience and instruction to, to see people grow and change over time. You have to be very patient with others. Uh, the same kind of patience that you would want people to have with you. And Paul didn't make up this mode of, of discipleship that we taught it to Timothy and to Titus. This was something modeled in the life of Christ. We've been looking at John 17 on Sundays with Patrick. John 17, look at verses 13 through 19. Jesus here is praying to God the Father and says, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, 
I also have sent them in the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus spoke the truth to the disciples and then sends them into the world, into the world to spread the word. Why? So that they may be sanctified in it. So that growth in Christ's likeness takes place in the body of Christ. Beloved, that's discipleship. Sharing the truth for the purpose of helping others grow in discipleship. One commentator explains it this way. He says, these activities dominated the life of Jesus. They are prominent in Paul's life and letters and form the core of the pastoral mandate in the Pauline churches. These must be characteristics of our discipleship. We must speak and exhort and reprove when necessary. And some of you might be thinking, Tim, this is all great and everything for you because you're a pastor. So this is Paul's writing to a pastor, right? So like this isn't really something I need to be concerned with. This is kind of like a pastoral elder thing because I don't, don't want to do some of those things. But I said earlier, this is written to Titus, it's true, who is a pastor in Crete, or was a pastor in Crete. But it's for all believers by extension because pastors are to be models and examples for the flock. But also, even more than that, we have these same things commanded of us in discipleship elsewhere. You may be familiar with the one another's in scripture. Let me tell you just a few of them. Romans 15, 14, instruct one another. That corresponds really well with Paul telling Titus to speak. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, encourage one another. That's actually the same word in our passage here for exhort. Colossians 3, 16, admonish one another. This is the, the correction that Paul is telling Titus to take part in. This is something that we all should be doing. This is not just a pastoral elder duty. This is everyone's privilege and responsibility in the body of Christ. This mode should characterize all of our discipleship of one another for our benefit, for the glory of God. The message of our discipleship must be focused on and centralized on the word of God. The mode of our discipleship must involve speaking, exhorting, and reproving. And finally, let's see the mood of our discipleship, the mood of our discipleship. And I'm not talking about mood like teenagers get kind of moody sometimes. Um, that's not what I mean. Um, I'm talking about the tone or tenor of communication, how it, how it comes across. Uh, over the years, I've had, I've had some students leave youth ministry disgruntled. That just happens. Um, I've had parents pull their, their kids out of youth ministry saying they wouldn't be back. Um, I've had negative comments made, to put it lightly, to my face um, about my approach to certain aspects of ministry. Um, I've had even more aggressive comments made behind my back and on social media. Um, more recently, I've been called narcissistic, spiritually abusive, doctrinally militant, among other things. Um, these things were specifically said concerning how I preach God's word, uh, how I use God's word in, in counseling, um, one comment made to me kind of summarizes the concern. I was told, when you preach or explain things, you do it in such a way that you make it seem like if anyone disagrees with you, they're disagreeing with God. That's what I was told. 
Um, I have to say, when I get up to preach or sit to counsel someone, I have zero confidence in myself, like none whatsoever. Um, I, get, I still get nervous every time I'm going to get up to, to preach here. Um, people often ask me before I'm going to preach how I'm feeling about the message. I, I usually don't really know how to respond. I kind of want to say, well, I'm involved, so there's always like the real possibility of disaster. So, and, and I don't need a, a self-esteem talk. I assure you my esteem is too high. Uh, I mean, I have no confidence in, in my ideas, my thoughts, my own wisdom. No confidence in that. But when I am talking about God's word, I'm not communicating my ideas, my thoughts, or my wisdom. I'm speaking God's word. And so if, if I'm speaking God's word to God's people, then to gr- disagree with those is to disagree with, with God, because it's his word. We, we must communicate these things to God's people, and there's a specific way that we should do that, because it is according to God's word. We have in God's word how we are to do this, the mood that we are to have about communicating God's word. Paul tells Titus how to do this, how to declare these things, the manner that you should communicate Listen to what he says. He says, these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. He says, with all authority. And if that's not definitive enough, he then says, let no one disregard you. These two phrases set the mood for discipleship. Authority here is the right to command And if anyone has the right to command, it is God himself through his word. It is having the ability to speak directly into someone's life. It is speaking with authority. And the word disregard here carries the idea of thinking around something. It's the person who you may speak to directly, but they they think and talk their way around what you have said so that they can kind of sidestep it and avoid it. People hear biblical truth, but they will think themselves out of believing it and out of living it out. Instead, they run to foolish controversies of the, and ideas of the world that Paul addresses elsewhere that we've already seen. The word disregard became used in that time in a purely negative way to describe someone who was disrespectful and completely ignores someone else. They would just disregard it and write it off. Like, no. Paul tells Titus not to let this happen. Let no one disregard you. This is another command in the verse. Don't allow it to happen, Titus. You declare these things, you speak them with all authority, and you don't let anyone get around it. You make sure that they hear you and that they hear you clearly and that there's no confusion about what you're saying. You're to be confident, courageous, and corrective in the way that you speak to other believers for their benefit and for the glory of God. Like, I, I picture like a football player like guarding the quarterback. You know, it's like, they're coming at you and they're trying to get around you. Like, they want to disregard it. You're like, whoa, hey, buddy, where are you going? What's going on? MacArthur explains this way, no believer should be allowed to reject or disregard God's truth. When you speak God's word into the life of a fellow brother or sister in Christ, there's no room for rejecting truth. 
So we can speak, beloved, authoritatively about God's word because God's word is clear. God's word is not confusing. And I want to make sure that we're very clear on this. It does not apply to your opinion or your preference. Okay? These are very different. If you're coming at somebody with the authority of God on your opinion, that's a bad spot to be. You shouldn't do that. You cannot force or impose your preferences or even your convictions on someone else if you don't have book, chapter, and verse to back it up. We also need to be clear that being authoritative does not mean being rude or disrespectful. When you speak the truth, it is to be done in love according to Ephesians 4. You speak the truth in love. You don't speak in a way that is destructive or demeaning. That's opposite of the desired effect. When we speak God's word, we want it to build up, not tear down. So if you're using God's word in a way that is not loving for the benefit of the person whom you're speaking, you're, you're working in opposition to God. You need to speak in a, a loving way. You need to speak the truth in love. When you're speaking and, and using God's word for their benefit, you speak with boldness and authority and love. So why is it that we can speak with boldness and authority when we talk about God's word? Why can you use God's word in this way? There's a few reasons that we'll look at briefly uh, as we come to a close here in a few moments. Uh, we can speak this way uh, because of inspiration. We can speak of this way because of the inspiration of, uh, of scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 explains that God's word is inspired by him, right? All scripture is inspired by God. It is breathed out by God. It's useful for teaching, correction, reproof, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. God is the source of this book. And so when we read this book, when we speak this book, God speaks. So we can have confidence and speak with authority because they are God's words. We can also speak this way because of salvation. God uses his powerful words to bring about salvation in the lives of lost, dead hearts. So we should speak it powerfully and courageously knowing that it may be used by God to bring someone to salvation. Romans 10, 14, and 15, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent just as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. We, we speak truth because God uses truth to save. We can also speak boldly because of the indwelling power of Christ within us. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So Jesus has all authority. And he says then, how does he follow it up? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. He dwells in us and has commanded us to go then and to proclaim the gospel so that the lost will get saved and then God's church becomes sanctified 
his people in doing so, that's discipleship, grow in Christ's likeness. And then we can speak God's word this way because of sanctification. This is the reason for which Christ died. You're still there in uh, Titus chapter two. Look at verse 14 in Titus two. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Why did he give himself? He gave himself to redeem us from every lawless deed, to purify for himself his people. That's the reason why Christ died. Should we not then be confident, courageous, and corrective in how we address one another in discipleship? I think we should. That's the reason for which Christ died. Like Paul told Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. He told Titus something similar in Titus 3.8. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, he says again, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Confident. Be confident in these truths. You speak these things confidently to one another for the benefit of their growth and godliness. Someone gets out of line with scripture, you go and you talk to them. Just like you would want someone to come and talk to you. If you go flying off the tracks, you don't want to just, you know, everyone, oh, bye. You want them to come after you. Hey, hold on a second there. We, We gotta talk. Some of you know that a conversation needs to be had with another believer. Some of you right now have someone in your life that you need to talk to, that you need to confront, and you've been putting it off. You realize you need to have a, 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 an honest, frank converse, conversation, but you don't want to. Tim, that sounds difficult and awkward and uncomfortable, and stop calling me Frank. Listen, if, if you're not going to talk to that person about what you see in their life, who's going to do it? You're just going to leave them there in their sin? Like, you don't want that. You don't want that for them. You wouldn't want that for you. Men, you must do this for your wife, for your children. Don't let them keep going in sin. Marriages often die because men aren't man enough to say what needs to be said. Children often go astray because their fathers never had the hard conversations with them that they needed to have. Ladies, speak the truth into your husband's lives, your husband's life. There's not more than one of them, hopefully. (laughs) If there is, I'll be at the prayer room after and we can talk. Speak truth into your kids' lives. Make your home a beacon of truth where Christ is exalted. Don't shy away from the difficult truths of scripture. Single men, single women, be the outstanding people who are going to speak the truth into the lives of those around you. Say to them what no one else will. No one wants to say what's contrary to culture, but if it's biblical, then be the one who stands on truth. 
Beloved, it is our job as the body of Christ to disciple one another boldly and faithfully with the word of God. Are you doing that? Are you just coasting by? Just kind of showing up on Sunday? Let us be found faithful to pursue God's glory in the growth of the body. Listen, if you're going to be a tool, be a useful one, okay? Be that, that hex that anchors the lives of others in truth. As you see them start to slip, you drive that anchor of God's word into their lives so they have a strong hold on Christ. Be courageous, be confident, be corrective, and be deliberate in your discipleship for the glory of God, for the benefit of the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you this morning that you have given us your word. Lord, we have your, your very words in our, our hands. Help us, Father, to be intentional with your truth. Let us be diligent in our discipleship. Help us, Lord, to not be those who, who won't speak the truths that need to be spoken, but out of love for one another, that we would, would call each other to love Christ more, to follow Christ more, and that we would see the spiritual growth of your body as each day passes on. And when we see those, Lord, that are longing to have their ears tickled and looking for teachers who will say what they want to hear, God, help us to speak all the more truth to them out of love and care and concern. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.